بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا وعظيمنا نبينا نبي الرحمة محمد وعلى آل بيته الطيبين الأطيبين الأطهار الذين أذهب الله عنهم الرجس وطهرهم تطهيرا أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الناس اتقوا الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة. This evening, once again, I will lend my voice to a big number of individuals within our community. Individuals with a lot of agony and pain. Individuals who have a special story that's yet to be heard. Brothers and sisters, for the next hour, you will be hearing of the pain and agony and the difficulties of single parents and children who grew up in single parent homes. Those individuals represent a significant number within our community. Yet they're not given a voice. They're not heard. And they're certainly not represented. That is why we dedicate this evening to them, to their families. Some may believe that this topic is not so relevant to the movement of Imam al-Hussein, to the legacy of Sayyid al-Shuhada. And I beg to differ. The event of Ashura left many women without the care of men, without the love of men, without the support of men within their lives. The event of Ashura left many children without having any man in their lives to support them, 
to love them, to care for them. In fact, the legacy of Imam al-Hussein and the movement of Imam al-Hussein began, it was endorsed and established by widows and orphans. By women who were surrounded by enemies and evil. And we hear their stories and we cry for them. Abu Hamza Thamali, one of the companions of Al Imam Zainul Abidin says many years after the event of Ashura, I asked him, Yabna Rasulillah, why is it that every time you see water, you cry? Why is it that every time they offer you food, you cry? Your family is used to Martyrdom is used to giving such sacrifices. Enough pain and agony, Ibn Rasulullah. Al-Imam Zainul Abidin says, Indeed, Al-Mawtu lana aada wa karamatuna min Allahi shahada. We're not afraid of death, nor we run away from martyrdom. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed shahada and sacrifice upon us, the Ahlul Bayt. However, every time I remember how my aunt Zainab was running after the children and the orphans of my father Hussein from one tent to another, I could no longer hold my tears back. Imam Ali ibn al-Hussein saw many tragedies on the 10th of Muharram. I am not here to begin my lecture with Masaib. However, this is the one that most broke his heart and made him cry for years until he was known to be one of the Bakka'een the most cryful person. Today, we have children amongst us, within our families, within our communities, that probably relate to the event of Ashura more than others. We have children who relate to Ruqayyah and the orphans of Abu Abdullah more than others. However, I believe one of our shortcomings is that we have not been able to make the message of Imam al-Hussein, even the masaib of Imam al-Hussein 
relevant to ourselves and to our lives and to our families and to our communities. So we cry for the orphans of Hussein, but we don't sometimes stop, pause, and cry for some of the injustice and misery that takes place within our communities and within our homes. Therefore, I find this topic an extremely relevant one. And like I said, the movement of Imam al-Hussein, it was a movement of islah. It began when he left the holy city of Medina. But it did not stop on the 10th of Muharram. It continues until today. And it will continue until the end of time, a movement which will rejuvenate the lives of people. A movement that is meant to give life to our community. And I tell you, I am so proud of some of the single parents within our community. Those who single-handedly are continuing the mission of Sayyida Zainab. What do I mean? They single-handedly are teaching their children the love of Imam al-Hussein. They single-handedly teach them the values of Abu Abdullah. They are training their children all by themselves to be the students at the maktab of Hussein ibn Ali. Some fathers who single-handedly have to fill the void of the presence of a mother. They have to be the fathers and the mothers and the caretakers of their children. And every day of their lives is a struggle. And that is why this evening I'm going to shed light on this very crucial and important topic in the following manner. Number one, single parents during marriage. Number two, abortion. Number three, Obtaining an Islamic divorce and equality amongst men and women. And number four, the effects of single family homes on children. I recently had a conversation with someone who told me of the agony the abuse, the mistreatment, the ill-treatment while she was married. And the reason why I chose to speak of this topic this evening is because I believe this topic is a continuation of where I left you off yesterday. Domestic violence and its effect on children. But I believe 
There is one thing that was left out, unfortunately, yesterday. And it's so important that we cannot move on without making a mention. We spoke of domestic abuse. We spoke of violence amongst husband and wife. Sometimes from the husband towards the wife. Sometimes from the wife towards the husband. And sometimes, no, they're both in a constant battle. One day this person wins, the other day another person wins. And the children are caught in the middle. Sometimes they not only witness the abuse, but they are also abused themselves. They also are physically assaulted by one and sometimes both their parents. Yes, parents who are exhausted. Parents who have lots on their plate. And I want to say this, Islam is extremely clear on its stance from child abuse. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam teaches us. He tells us, خيركم, خيركم The best of you is not the one who prays more. The best of you is not the one with more friends on Facebook. The best of you is not the one who drives the most expensive vehicle. The best of you is not the one with the nicest tattoos or the nicest watch. The best of you, خيركم, خيركم لأهله. The best of you in terms of his treatment to his family. His care for his family. Sometimes we stand towards the Qibla and we pray. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we wonder why is it that Allah is not hearing us? Or we ask ourselves, is this salah accepted? I'll tell you, the worst kind of people that stand in front of the Qibla to pray to Allah are not the ones that were sinning before or will sin after. The worst of people who stand in front of the Qibla to pray to Allah are the ones who have broken the heart of the people that depend on them. If you've broken your little daughter's heart, your son's heart, who only has you in this world, they don't have anybody else. Who depends on you. Who sees the world confined in you. If you break their heart, then you stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to pray. I'm afraid that prayer will not just not do you any good. It won't be answered. It won't be recognized. But that prayer also puts you amongst the hypocrites, the munafiqeen. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He speaks of His worship, when He speaks of His oneness, the very first thing after that is He directs us towards family values. Love and care within the home. 
As I was saying, I spoke to somebody who told me of their agony. And being a single parent while being married. And, and many of you can probably relate to this. During pregnancy, this person sees all sorts of insults. All sorts of abuse to a point where when this child is born, the child needs to be hospitalized at the ICU and she needs to be hospitalized as well. All by herself, completely away from her family. Her family who entrusted her as an amana with someone. Thinking that this person was going to look after her and take care of her. At least follow the guidelines that Imam Al-Hussein gives to one of his companions. He says, who should I marry my daughter to? He says, marry her to a true mu'min. Person with true akhlaq and morality. Because if he would not love her, he would not break her heart. He would not be a zalim. She says when this baby was born, she had to go to the ICU and I was hospitalized. And the first day we arrived home with the baby, I could not naturally breastfeed my daughter. So I asked for formula milk for his daughter, for his beloved, a newly born child. There's new life within this family. And the response was, this is your child, this is your problem, take care of it. So she speaks of how she would have to get out in the snow, in the cold weather. While her daughter was crying to get milk. And how when she returned home, this baby had put itself to sleep. Because of the amount of crying. Because you know, babies don't have so much energy. They cry until they fall asleep. And she says, this event pains me until now. I, I cannot get over it. And if we complain, if she complains, of many of the likes of this person complain, what is the response? The response is, I'll divorce you. And if I divorce you, nobody's going to marry a woman with a child. So some are indeed single parents during their marriage. They have to take their kids to Sunday school. They have to take their kids to school every day. They have to cook. They have to clean. They have to teach. The responsibility is completely and utterly on their shoulder. And I don't mean this is only relevant to women who are single parents during a marriage. You know, some men are also single parents during a marriage. Today I find an ongoing trend, an ongoing unfortunate trend on social media of some of the sisters, some of the respected ladies within our community of becoming fashion models on Instagram. 
So the father has to cook and clean and go to work and pay the bills and take the kids back and forth from school while his wife is a fashion model. She's taking pictures and posting pictures with her burkini for everybody to see. Sharing her, her wish list on her Instagram, thinking this is the biggest achievement. Who's going to be the first person to buy me my Gucci shades on my birthday because I'm so fabulous? If you're so fabulous, focus more on your family and on your children. And I'm not against those who are active on social media, don't get me wrong. But try to be, try to look beyond yourself. Try to understand you are not the center of attention in this world. There are things much bigger than your smile and your eyes and the hijab that you wear and the bag that you carry. That is why I appreciate those who have a bigger message than themselves, than who they are, than showing us what they eat and where they go and how they vacation. Believe it or not, not a single soul really cares what you do. And especially on the day of judgment with Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna akramakum Allah." The best of you are the ones with more taqwa and piety. Not the rich. Not the ones that go on more vacations. Not the ones with a perfect smile. Not the ones that are driving the most exotic cars. That is why I appreciate some who actually make it a point to raise awareness on many things within our community through their platform. Those who raise funds for the unfortunate. Those who try to be part of an educational movement. A charitable movement. That is the correct usage of social media. And I said something brothers yesterday. I'll say it again just to remind everybody. There is a reason why we pray towards Mecca, towards the Kaaba, and the Kaaba is our Qibla. What do we learn from the Kaaba? And what do we learn from Hajj? And what do we learn by visiting Masjid al-Haram? We learn that a king, we learn that a president, we learn that a billionaire and a millionaire and an average person, an impoverished person, somebody with 10 billion in their account or somebody with $10 in their pocket. In fact, somebody with a credit card debt are all the same in front of Allah. We all have to wear the same garments. We all have to do the same acts of tawaf around the Kaaba. So when we pray towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala five times a day towards that Kaaba, that should remind me that I am equal. Even if I feel more religious, more spiritual, I should feel equal 
and Allah's eyes with others. I should not superiorize myself over others. Some parents truly, their life, while being married, is the life of a single parent. And I said this yesterday, the Qur'an only has 200, some scholars say 300, some scholars say 500 laws. The rest of the Qur'an is a book of akhlaq, book of morality, book of ethics. Why is there such a huge decline? An astonishing and staggering decline in the morality and ethics of people Especially when it comes to family values. Number two. It is the struggle of individuals to obtain an Islamic divorce. And this is why, this is the cause, this is the reason many of the women today in our community are disheartened with the religious institution. Like I said, some of them will never step foot into a mosque. Some of them have taken off their hijabs and retaliation. Some of them are now part of movements that critique the Quran. And we say, why? Why is this happening? We don't ask the religious institution, what was our shortcomings? I said this yesterday, one of the problems is, we demand to be listened to. We demand attention, but we never listen. We never pay attention. Why is it that in some schools of thought in Islam, a woman, a man can divorce her husband literally, and this is not a joke, with a text message. And I have seen scholars ver verify this. Scholars saying this. On the internet. That yes, if you send a message, a text message to your wife, and you say to her you are divorced, she's divorced. Of course, within the school of Ahlul Bayt, that is unacceptable. But we also have our challenges. I know many women, you know many women. You have come across many of the sisters in our community who when they want to get a divorce, there is no equality. I know a person who waited to obtain her Islamic legal divorce for four years. She actually had to travel to Qom. She had to travel to Najaf. And she was denied and returned back to her country. This is unacceptable. The laws of Islam, brothers and sisters, is the Islamic legal system is a legal system that is just and fair with humans, with animals, with the wildlife, and with everything and anything under the sun. Make sure that you understand Allah does not differentiate between His creation.
يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة The ayah that I began my lecture with states that Allah has created us from a single soul. In Allah's eyes, we are all equal. But why is it that some of the sisters, when they try to obtain a divorce within our community, they are belittled, disrespected? The process has to take so long. They have to see so many different individuals. They have to read, write so many letters. And this has been disheartening for many of them, for many of their families, many of their fathers. A father who takes care of his daughter for 20 years, 25 years, cares for her, loves her, and then somebody marries her. And she no longer wants to remain in that marriage. That marriage is no longer suitable for her. Now when she's seeking a divorce, she has to go through so much pain and agony. That is unacceptable. That is why we must revisit those laws. That is why we must revisit those regulations. Number three. I'd like to speak about abortion. Abortion is a, an extremely important topic. The entire world and the entire globe is talking about abortion. Are you pro-life? Are you pro-choice? Where do you stand from abortion? Yet we shy away from those topics. We run away from those topics. Why? Because we somehow think that we're immune to this. This has nothing to do with us. And I guarantee every person here, every person listening, has directly or indirectly somehow come across the topic of abortion. Whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a relative, whether it's a person we work with, somehow, somewhere, you will come across this issue. And now... The issue is much bigger than whether we're pro-life or we're pro-choice. That's a, a topic on its own. The Islamic legal system, when it comes to when is it allowed to abort, when is it not allowed to abort, the penalty of abortion, those we leave aside for now. But don't tell me that Abortion is not an issue within our communities. With what I've just discussed with you, people who are married but single parents, people who are in abusive marriages, people who cannot get a divorce when they want to be divorced, people who are subject to domestic violence, if they conceive a child, if this woman conceives a child, you better believe every minute of the hour and every hour of the day she's going to be thinking of abortion. She's going to be contemplating on abortion. Have we discussed this topic extensively? Have we prepared our community for this? Most importantly, some people believe that it's easy for women to abort their children. 
This is something, you know, they're just being reckless. They're just being stupid. There's no such thing. A mother, and I'm not by any way, any mean justifying abortion, by the way. This is not my topic this evening, but I want to say this. I want to say this for everybody to listen to me. A mother loves her child so much that she would rather not see this child suffer. Not have a life of agony and pain. Are our religious institutions ready to help such individuals? In fact, one of the areas in which khums, sadaqa, zakat, an Islamic treasury, the Islamic treasuries ought to intervene as for single parents. Single parents who cannot obviously run a family single-handedly by themselves. The finances are high. They need to pay rent. They need to make car payments. They need to live a dignified life. They should not have to beg. Their, ki their children and their kids should not have to live any different than others. Where is the religious institution when it comes to those issues? And we wonder why are people so disheartened? Why are people... So we don't listen. We don't listen to the needs of people. We have to learn to listen. We have to learn to be respectful of people's needs. Religion is not just a bunch of acts of worship. Ruku' and sujood and siyam and how to perform ghusl and how to perform salat al-ayat and whatnot. Religion, according to Rasulullah, nama bu'ithtu li'utammima makarim al-akhlaq. To ensure the akhlaq of people. And I am surprised. I see some people, mashallah, Allah has blessed them with an abundance of wealth. And unfortunately, they would not pay their homes or their dues. And you say to them, why? They say, because you know the, the corruption in the religious institution. <laughs> That's the most pathetic excuse I've ever heard. There's corruption? Why don't you spend it yourself? Why don't you find the right individuals? This money is in your pocket, but it belongs to them. It is their money. It is the money of the orphans and the money of the widows. Allah is testing you with that money. If you don't feel like giving it to an institution, you should do it yourself. But make sure that you share that wealth while you and your children and your family are enjoying vacations and a beautiful home and beautiful cars and going to, you know, lavish vacations and others are barely making ends meet. Don't say, well, let's say it. I made all this money in halal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us that even with the halal you will be questioned. 
of how you spend it, how you earned it, and how you spend it, every penny of it. Finally, I'd like to speak of the effects of single family homes on our beloved children. To the parents who are struggling within their homes, within their families, within their marriages. This is something normal. Many people go through hardship. There isn't a single family that's empty of difficulties. There aren't two people who are always in agreement with each other. Despite what we see in movies, every single home has a set of problems and difficulties that is completely normal. But I want to tell you and I want to remind you to be more courteous towards your children and their feelings and their emotions. To be more courteous, to be more loving, to be more compassionate towards their children. Even though talaq, even though divorce is what is known as the most disliked halal act within the religion of Islam, sometimes it's the only solution. Once that happens, parents, brothers, sisters, be wise enough not to bring in your children into this battle. By you defaming this child's father, you're not putting this child at peace. You're not making the life of this child any better. You're not making their difficulties any easier. In fact, you're making their lives much more complicated. By the father or the family of the father defaming this woman, Speaking ill of her, making her the cause of all the problems. You are actually breaking the heart of their children. Even though sometimes they might be quiet, they might pretend they agree with you. But deep inside, you're stabbing them in their hearts. At the end of the day, this is their father. At the end of the day, that's their mom. And I believe a brave conversation with these parents is to actually sit their children down and speak with them and tell them, listen, I feel responsible to tell you of the mistakes that I made. And those are the mistakes that, for example, your father made. We made those mistakes. We are not proud of those mistakes. But the world has something else to offer. Let them not develop this hatred, this animosity and anger with the world because all they see within the world, within their universe, is their parents. Once their parents are, at, are, are, are not at ease, then they will not be at ease. 
one thing that attracted people to the camp of Imam al-Hussein, to the legacy of Imam al-Hussein, to the revolution of Imam al-Hussein, was his Ahl al-Bayt. One thing that attracted people to Rasulullah was his Ahl al-Bayt, his awlad, his family. The way Rasulullah was with his family attracted people to, to the religion of Islam, to the message of Rasulullah. And one way people are attracted to Imam al-Hussein today is through understanding the relationship of Imam al-Hussein with his family. With his sons, with his nephews, with his awlad, with his wife, with his children. And one individual who joined the camp of Imam al-Hussein after being a witness to this was Hur ibn Yazid al-Riyahi. Hur. Hur who came to intercept the caravan of Imam al-Hussein. Hur who was the one that caused the miseries of Al-Imam Al-Hussein. Every single day, he would go back and forth between the camp of Umar ibn Sa'ad and the camp of Hussein. And he would ask himself, أُخَيِّرُ نَفْسِي بَيْنَ الْجَنَّةِ وَالنَّارِ I ask myself, where do I belong? Bain al-Jannah, paradise, salvation, al-Imam al-Hussein, wal-Nar. And Umar ibn Sa'ad, and damnation, to stain my hands with the blood of innocent people. And the story tells us that on the eve of the 10th of Muharram, he went very close to the camp of Imam al-Hussein. فَرَآهُمْ بَيْنَ رَاكِعٍ وَسَاجِدٍ وَتَالِيًا لِلْقُرْآنِ He saw them, some were praying, some were supplicating, some were reading dua, some were asking for forgiveness. He heard the beautiful voice of Ali al-Akbar in reciting the Holy Qur'an. Then he went towards the camp of Umar ibn Sa'd and there he saw the drinking and the sinful celebration that they had prior to the killing of Imam al-Hussein. He came to him. He stood in front of the tent of Hussein ibn Ali. He said to him, As-salamu alayka ya ibn Rasulillah. Ya ibn Rasulillah, halli min tawbah. He greets him. 
He says to him, Ibn Rasulullah, is there a way for me to be forgiven? Imam al Hussein, he knows Hur, but he asks him, Wa salamu man ant? Who are you? Hur is so overwhelmed with guilt that he no longer says his name. He says, Ya ibn Rasulillah, I am the cause of your misery. Are you hur? Seek for forgiveness and Allah shall forgive you. Imam al Hussein did not rebuke him, disrespect him. Make him feel more guilty than he already did. What a lesson to be learned from Imam al Hussein. And Hur then said to him, Ya Aba Abdullah, I will not disembark my horse until I am the first person to be a sacrifice for your cause. Him and his children. The poet has a beautiful line, a beautiful line. He says, Look how generous Hussein is. Who is this Hussein that takes Hur and in one night he puts him next to Habib ibn Mazahir? Allahu Akbar. In one night he puts him next to Muslim ibn Awsaja. In one night he puts him next to Ali ibn Al-Akbar and Abbas ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib. He takes Hur. This man overtaken by guilt, by sin, who was the one that intercepted the camp of Imam al Hussein, but yet look at what Hussein does with them. We say to him, Yabna Rasulullah, take a glance at us this evening. We beg you for that glance of Rahman, compassion. Ya Sayyidana wa Mawlana Inna tawajjahna wa istashfa'na wa tawassalna bika All of you, brothers and sisters, together. Ya
اشفع لنا عندك